0: Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts
1: on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19
0: crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shibu Glani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by Dr. Omar Dawood. Dr. Dawood is a clinician and stage four cancer survivor with more than 25 years of senior management, medical research, and clinical experience with a focus on innovating medical device and digital health products as a senior executive. Prior to Com, he held leadership positions at Ginger IO and Alivecore, which are two of the leading companies in digital health. He's currently the chief medical officer and head of sales for Com, which is an experience for resilience and mental fitness. So, Dr. Dawood, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today.
1: Thank you so much. Great to be
0: here. You have a really impressive background. Penn, Yale, many other logos behind you, and you're a cancer survivor. I would love to hear kind of what first got you interested in a career in medicine and then transitioning into leadership roles in digital health companies.
1: Yeah, you know, I went through a a difficult experience when I was a teenager. I was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma a couple days from my 15th birthday, and it really lit a fire in me to be able to actually bring innovation to the hospital. Uh, I got to see a side of medicine that really, to me, highlighted the need for better access, better quality of care, and as I said, the ability to bring innovation on all fronts uh, into the hospital system. So from there, I pursued a career in medicine and always followed my passions, You know, studied in the public health realm and got more of a collective view on medicine. And then after being out in San Francisco in, in residency training, I really got a, a really good firsthand taste on the opportunities to be able to actually apply my clinical expertise and strategic mindset into the business world, to be able to not just touch patients from a one-on-one perspective and help them, but actually influence an entire sphere of patients around the world.
0: Yeah, that scale of impact is definitely something that's led to me taking time off med school from Hopkins and, and deciding to go and start a company. So clearly, between the, the logos you've worked at Com especially, you've reached millions of people, the work you do. So going into Com, I'd love to hear what resonated about Com with you and then how you joined as chief medical officer and head of sales. We've had various chief medical officers of health systems. Of other companies like Accolade on, on the RaiseLine podcast. I think you're the first where I've seen dual roles, which is really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's usually a separation of church and state. So to bring the two together makes sense, actually, for what we're doing, and, and maybe we'll set a trend for the industry. So for me, you know, Com is a really interesting company, and, and we have a very interesting experience to provide to, you know, over 90 million people around the world. And for me, it was the opportunity to work with something that has for the first time been a wellness app experience that people actually pay for, that is actually viral and hyper-engaging. And to be able to take that and be able to bring that you know, from 90-plus million consumers in 190 countries around the world and bring that into the employer world, where we have this conundrum where when you bring a benefit in, the number one problem is getting people to use it, especially behavioral health to me seemed like the ability to actually reinvent and change the whole world of benefits for behavioral health. So my charge coming in was really to help lead and build the entire B2B and commercial business and be able to create that in a way in which you augment our commercial, our, our consumer business, to be able to help employees live happy, happier, healthier lives and take calm from you know hopefully tens of millions of people to hopefully billions of people around the world.
0: That's definitely an inspiring mission. And, you know, one other guest we've had in the podcast is Arianna Huffington, who clearly her own experience having this breakdown that she'll admit at Huffington Post led her to start Thrive Global, which is obviously a leading brand and partners with a bunch of employers to do various wellness initiatives. Would love to hear, you know, you have a very impressive scientific background, a lot of publications behind you. What are some of the the outcomes you all are looking at at Com, both for the consumer side, as well as for, for the health plans and employers that you all work with?
1: Yeah, great question. I think everything we're doing, and when I say we, I mean everyone digital health space falls apart if you're not based on solid evidence in science. Just doing something because it feels good is not enough. You really want to have things that are outcome truly value-based. I am really proud of the efforts that we have at Calm. Our science team is led by Dr. Jen Huberty, who's a professor at the Arizona State University, and she has a team there that structure IRB-based clinical studies and research in a variety of areas across general populations, across smaller focused populations like cancer patients, for example, to be able to really prove out the value of something like Calm, where you're bringing in helping people build resilience and mental fitness, giving them the ability to be preventative so that they're better able to deal with stress and anxiety, as well as actually treat the stress and anxiety in the moment. I think for me, foundationally, and, and I love that we ascribe to this at Calm, is it's not about the number of publications. You have a lot of companies that wave. We have... X number of publications and look how good we are because of that. I am more focused on the quality of publications. You know, are there good RCTs? Are there good, is there good level one evidence where we actually can strip out the confounding factors and actually look at true cause and effect? I think we do a very good job of that. And you know, for us, the number one reason people come in the calm is to sleep better. It's a foundation for resilience, not surprisingly. Seven and a half billion of us on the planet sleep or try to sleep every night. And so a lot of our research is focused on sleep and really diving deep into both qualitative and quantitative endpoints related to that, as well as a variety of other metrics and studies and stress and anxiety and those types of areas.
0: So we're talking about mental health and resilience or mental fitness in the middle of the COVID pandemic. You know, you joined COM October 2019 according to LinkedIn. So your congratulations on your one-year anniversary. Thank you. It's been a crazy year, I'm sure, for all of us and, and you in particular. But how was pre-COVID versus post-COVID for, for Calm? We'd love to hear how it's affected, how you all think about Calm and its impact on society, and if it's accelerated any initiatives that, that you all were planning to release maybe in the future.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the way to really sum it up is we are humbled that we are in the position that we are during this global pandemic to be able to help people. I mean, we are helping, you know, millions and millions of people around the world at one of the most stressful times that we as a society will ever face. And and that's humbling to be in that position and comes with a tremendous responsibility. You know, our volumes and our user base were already quite large, largest in the industry prior to the pandemic. And so, you know, of course, everyone saw a bit of a bump, quite a bit of a bump during it, but, but volumes still obviously remain incredibly high. The interesting thing about this concept in this space of resilience and mental fitness, it's a very broad space, is that you know, I'm not sure about anything in the world, right? But you're sure around the corner there's stress and anxiety permeating from our personal and professional lives we have to deal with. And so this concept never goes away of the need to build resilience and mental fitness. The pandemic is a heightened, perfect storm of ingredients around that level of stress and anxiety, but it's not going to go away. Right, we're still going to have stress and anxiety in your lives. What to me has happened in the last six months is it's put this in the forefront. It's opened up the dialogue for everyone, where now people are talking about it more. And so it's become almost more mainstream that, hey, are you stressed? Of course I am. What are you doing about it? Right. And so now people are talking about it even more. From an initiative perspective, you know, we've continued to do what we do in terms of ensuring that we have the best experience that's available and that's engaging to people all around the world, regardless of your ethnicity, race, sex, orientation. And then we continue to double down on that, continue to work with and develop and generate content in very, very key areas that can help support people through the pandemic and beyond. You notice within Calm, we don't actually mention the words COVID-19. And that's actually unique. It's done on purpose. And it's because it's one of the few places you can escape to, where you don't see those jarring words. I'm sure as a clinician, you you understand that as well, which is just by seeing those words can have a, a tough impact. But we have all the tools to help you support you through it. We launched a non-digital part of our business this past spring, comp coaching, which is now paired with our digital offering as well. And so allows people to really kind of further customize their journey on the B2B side. And you know that we're very excited about that.
0: That's fascinating, and yeah, I didn't realize that that you all took a stand not to include COVID nineteen. I mean, you as the provider know that uh, there's this thing called white coat hypertension, where just by seeing the white coat, some people, you know, their blood pressure raises five or ten millimeters of mercury. I imagine COVID nineteen does the same, right? Seeing COVID nineteen everywhere, and every website says COVID nineteen. It's just a constant reminder of the the world we're living in right now. So you worked at some really leading digital health companies, and I'm most familiar with AliveCor, having covered that some years ago, and know Dr. Dave Albert. His vision was always, you know, first we do telemedicine, and then we transition into AI interpretations of the ECG strips. You mentioned, you know, Calm is very self-directed, but there's a community function. There's Calm coaching. One thing that's really exciting in this industry now is telebehavioral health companies like Talkspace and whatnot. would love to hear, is that what you mean by calm coaching, like getting actual psychologists or clinicians in calm to like do sessions? Or how are you looking at that potential for calm?
1: It's actual coaches. So they're unlicensed. So they're able to operate across state lines. And they have video visits on the B2B side with individuals to help support them through stress and anxiety. I think the question one would ask is, well, isn't that already been done? And what's interesting is when you think about, you know, any of the companies in the space, and I applaud all of them, by the way, we need more and more companies. So those of you out there who are looking to found your next behavioral health company, there's room for you. The space is huge, and we need as many companies as we can in it to, to support everyone. The challenges with, with all of those companies is you can have a great coaching or psychology, psychiatry or therapy offering. But What's your actual engagement with the population? Because the EAP utilizations is zero to three percent. Digital health typically upwards of the best ones are six to eight percent, and so you're still only touching a small fraction of individuals. You know, calm our average sign-up rate within accounts is over twenty-six percent. Our average engagement is well over seventy-five percent. So when you have those kind of numbers, and they escalate even higher in many accounts, over you know over six hundred and fifty accounts that we've launched in this last year and then you you pull in something that is very personalized, now people are able to actually access that in a much higher fashion because they're already engaged with the system. So it completely changes the narrative on how you view coaching, for example, or other personalized options.
0: What's the secret behind, uh, or whatever you can share about that massive subscribe base and then the engagement rate? 75% of people who install are engaged and I don't know how you are defining engagement, but that's impressive. Well,
1: We have a little bit of an unfair advantage. We have a brand that literally everyone knows. It's probably one of the or the largest brand in digital health and wellness, actually, in general, where everyone around the world's heard of it. So when you come to a company, you say, hey, I'm going to drop in, calm. It's available to you. Everyone knows what it is. And so their top of line awareness is immense. That's one of the things you try to do with the benefit is try to explain to them what this thing is. Well, that's already been done. And so because of that, and because we've had so many people that have interacted with it on the consumer side, and because we have an engaging offering on the consumer side where, you know, we won Apple's app of the year in 2017, beating out every consumer app. Like that just doesn't happen in wellness. Over a million five-star app reviews, something that people just absolutely love. You have all those ingredients together of an experience that is engaging for a consumer. And therefore, for an employer, they're going to know what it is. It's going to be hot in their hand. And they're going to immediately be able to gain benefit from it very quickly.
0: That's great. It shows how going direct to consumer can enable the institutional and vice versa, how they synergize. You know, you're a physician, you know, the career is quite stressful and people have been talking for, for years, if not decades, about clinician and provider burnout. And that's come to the forefront. Now we're in the third wave in the US of COVID. And many of our physician colleagues have been, and nurse colleagues and clinician provider colleagues in general have been at this for months, literally months, day in, day out. I would love to hear, you, you know what is your personal perspective and then maybe Com's perspective on reaching this particular audience of, of healthcare heroes?
1: First of all, I applaud all of you, all of you out there listening. You're doing not just a lion's share of, of the work, but just immense. And the sacrifice is truly humbling. It's amazing to see because people are putting their own lives on the line day in and day out, and it's tough. It's extremely difficult. I think clinicians have high burnout rates no matter what. They've always had them. Now we've taken them and multiplied them by a 1,000. And so you're compressing a already very, very stressed and challenged group of individuals. So we want to support them as much as we can. We work with a number of health systems and provider groups around the country. And we definitely do something very, very special from a commercial perspective, working with those groups to recognize them. I think it's beyond important. Because at the end of the day, we have an offering that can help them sleep better, an offering that can help them you know, take that a very important pause between patients or during their day, music that can relax them when they're on breaks, or they're driving to or from or on public transportation, back and forth to the hospitals and clinics that really need them to be at their best.
0: Exactly. Uh, I couldn't agree more with that. What advice would you give to current and future healthcare professionals in our audience about meeting the challenges of COVID-19 and beyond?
1: I think an important one, and, and it took me decades to learn this, but it applies, I believe, to those treating COVID-19 and truly treating any condition, because COVID-19 is not going to be the last challenging conditions we're going to have in front of us, is we're so consumed by treating what we see. We're treating a person's respiratory status, their vitals, and supporting them. And don't forget about what you can't see. Because we so oftentimes overlook the person's mind, their emotional state, their overall behavioral and mental health state, which if we don't support that, we're actually crippling their immune system. We're actually fighting against ourselves. We are doing a disservice to treating the patient holistically. And that's been illuminating for me. And you know, I'll admit something I came to realization of in the last decade the importance of looking at somebody holistically and supporting their behavioral mental health as much as their physical health.
0: Yeah, very important to remember. And at least when I was going to med school, we didn't have as much training on that. So I had two, two last questions for you. One is, you know, what do you think the lasting changes to the healthcare system will be as a result of COVID-19? It's
1: a really good question. You know, I hope that we look at prevention in an even more important light both on physical and mental, we weren't prepared for this level of stress and anxiety. We didn't have enough resilience and mental fitness built into our population. I think that's been front and center. You know, it's like you've all of a sudden had to run down the street a mile to get somewhere and you were forced into it and you were sore for three days. You never thought you were going to have to do it, but you had to do it you're going to start thinking more about exercise, right? You're going to start thinking more about nutrition. Or after you've had a heart attack, you start thinking about what you eat, how you move. This is no different because now our minds and our behavioral state has incapacitated a lot of us. You know How do you look at a situation that's novel that is unpredictable and where the outcome is unknown? Basics of how you deal with stress and anxiety, the basics of really how you think about unpacking a situation from a resilience perspective. But none of us know how to do that. We haven't thought about that. A lot of us don't know how to do that. The more we learn how to do that, the more we can approach these situations in the future and be best prepared. We can look at how to build routines. We can look at what certainty is in a situation and how to actually back off from trying to control a whole situation's outcome and be certain of what outcome we can be certain of. And that'll actually help support our, our own mental and behavioral health. I think that's gonna be critical. To me, that's gonna be a big outcome.
0: Yeah, I I hope so. I mean, when I was in, in med school, I was down the surgery path. And then, you know, meeting someone with, with lung cancer who had been smoking for 40, 50 years, 50 pack years really changed my perception of what if we were able to intervene earlier, you know, get them to quit smoking, or in your case, get more mental fitness and resilience before, you know, they have a have a breakdown or you know, go into full blown anxiety. And so my last question for you is, is there anything else you'd like to be able to convey to our audience of you know, current and future healthcare professionals around the world while we have you here?
1: I think the last thing is we have all these statistics around mental health. One in five Americans who are afflicted with the mental health or will be afflicted in their lifetime. And what I just urge everyone to think about is what about the other four out of five that actually experience some level of stress and anxiety and they don't have a labels condition? We shouldn't forget about them it's as important to support every one of us and every one of the patients in front of you from a mental behavioral health perspective, even at a subacute pre-symptom level. Because then I think we're going to make a more efficient use of our downstream resources. We're just going to prepare all of us and entire society for any stress and anxiety that's to come.
0: Those are some great words to end on. So Dr. Dawood, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. And, and more importantly, for the, the great work you're doing to encourage mental fitness at fitness.com.
1: Thank you, Shiv. Appreciate it. Have a great day, everyone.
0: And with that, I'm Shiv Ulani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels.